Welcome to Team Building Cultures, the podcast designed to deliver tools and tips for improving team communication, collaboration, and fostering a culture where teams thrive. Now, here's your host, Beverly Hathorne, owner of Strategic HR Consultants. Hello, listeners, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Team Building Cultures. Today, I am speaking with a very, very interesting gentleman, a seasoned uh, leader in contact centers and um, working with employees. And we're talking about Mr. Jim Lemire. Jim is going to talk to us today about the cultural framework and how it's the key to results. A little bit about Jim. He's a seasoned service operations uh, leader and award-winning industry thought leader. He's a professional speaker, and he has an impressive track record of driving transformational change, which we're all interested in, and how that maximizes performance through a cultural framework that's grounded in behavioral economics and management. So that sounds uh, very informational and interesting, Jim. I'm excited to get going with you and uh, hear what you have to share with us today. So thanks so much for joining me. Well, thanks. Good afternoon, Beverly. How are you? I'm very, very good. Thanks. Let's talk first about uh, being a seasoned operations leader. Tell us a little bit about what that's like to lead in a uh, operations center or contact center and some of the uh, special uh, talents that we need to develop to in our teams to have them be successful in that arena. No, thanks for asking. Yeah. So I, uh, I joined the customer service operations uh, world back way back in 1995, and I started on the front lines. And uh, I think there's something unique about starting on the front line and having every job that you can have in the customer service operations space. I think it gives you a lot of street credibility with people. I think it gives you a lot of depth so that you can um, you know, explain things from a perspective that a lot of people don't necessarily have. And um, growing up uh, from within has you experience uh, quite a few things. Uh, So you get good at critical thinking, you get good at creative solutioning, um, and you get good at connecting with people that do the job. And so that helps you be an authentic leader. So, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, done that now with several companies and uh, focused on re-engineering along the way. Awesome. I'm right there with you on that. I started out on the front lines as like a customer service representative and dealt with uh, lots of different uh, levels of customer, as well as uh, different situations that taught me all the things that you mentioned, and also empathy and understanding as well. And so I was fortunate um, to be uh, highly um, trained at a corporation where um, customer satisfaction is top. It's it's very important. Customer satisfaction and employee satisfaction run kind of neck and neck at this company. And um, I was able to work with a lot of different um, customers who were both satisfied and unsatisfied. So it uh, helped me to develop that level of understanding and how to communicate with customers as well as my peers. So, And I think it's really important as you go through your history, right, is get comfortable in your skin, right? Self-reflection is key. Evolving as a leader is key. But when you are spending time on service recovery or escalations, you have to be comfortable in your own skin in order to help people through that. You know, if you want to be able to focus on your critical thinking, focus on the solution, focus on the experience, 
you can't be sitting there fumbling around with confidence issues, right? So know who you are, spend time on your on yourself as a leader, get that confidence where it needs to be so that you can be a true advocate for the company and, and usher somebody through an escalation the right way. Wonderful. And I would add to that, that the relationship building upstream and downstream is important. It's important, especially when you're handling escalations to have um, allies in other areas where you've, um, you know, worked with them and helped them along and they've helped you along so that you can call them because often an escalation does not take the normal processing route. You know, you've got to be able to think out of the box and, you know, maybe get some things done outside of the way that you would normally do them. So when you've got those uh, relationships established, then you can definitely count on the help of others. But it also gives you an opportunity to assist others. Because when you've got that little circle that you uh, work within and that you can count on, then you want to be one of those that can be counted on as well. So, you know, I, I, I think the contact center has um, a completely different uh, environment than just most uh, teams. There's a lot of uh, support building and relationship building that that goes on in those centers. So tell us about um, your um, transformational change that maximizes performance because we're all interested in maximizing performance. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, I found myself um, kind of in a pattern. As I grew up in uh, the contact center space, I started really learning about the ins and outs of the contact center. And I started even as a frontline rep, just re-engineering my own job and coming up with new ideas for maximizing efficiency and maximizing experience and, and to doing that together, that one doesn't make the other sacrifice, right? They can be done at the same time. And as I got into higher jobs, I just kept that knack and I essentially turned into a focus on re-engineering. And every five, six, seven years, I'd go from, from one company to another, re-engineer the next center, go to the next one, re-engineer that operation. And, and so for me, transformational change was really getting down to a process where I could go in and within the first 90 days, get a pretty good, accurate lay of the land. For me, it came down to almost like a menu system. I'll explain what I mean there. If you go into uh, and, you, and you assess a contact center, you might know that there are, say, 15 different things that could go wrong in a contact center. So it might be staffing, it might be call center technology, it might be culture, it might be employee engagement. Could be a number of different things, but these 15 things say, you go into one contact center and number three, number four, number seven, and number 12 are off and they need to be addressed in some way. But you go into the next center, those same uh, things might not be the, the problem. It might be five, six, 13, and 14. And so really getting a good understanding of what your 15 things might be and how each one of those needs to be addressed and how they interplay with each other, uh, very important. And so for me, that's what it became, going in there and figuring out, okay, on the menu, which things need to be addressed first and what's a good plan for fixing those things and how do they relate so that you can have a, a holistic plan. Yeah, awesome. So when you're beginning your assessment, uh, how do you, uh, what are some of the tools that you use to get that done? Do you have like, um, do you have like a checklist or surveys or, you know, talking to people or all of the above or what, what are yeah. some of the tools you use? That's no, a great question. And, you know, every, every operation is different and they have different mixes of things. I mean, you might have a B2B center, you might have a B2C center, you might have e-commerce, you might have something that's less tangible. Um, so it, it, some of, you know, some of it's case by case, but in general, one of the most important things is to lead with what I call the cultural value chain. 
Now, the cultural value chain is a framework that um, I use. It's very simple in its form, but it's complex in how you can implement it. And I'll explain what I mean. It's made up of four different tenets in priority order, starting with leadership excellence. And leadership excellence is important to create the right leadership culture in order to create the next tenet, which is employee experience. And employee experience can have all sorts of things within it. That's what's nice about the value chain is you can take each one of these tenets and you can customize it for the operation or for the business. So in employee experience, you might have things like flexible scheduling, rewards and recognition, gamification, whatever it might be, you would put your things that you would consider employee experience into that tenant. And then, and then you could see how it plays with the other tenants. For example, leadership excellence is the first tenant and you might put into that um, the way that you have leadership development or the way that you maybe coach to behaviors versus metrics or whatever it might be, you define what fits into your cultural value chain. But to continue on, you have leadership excellence that creates the culture for employee experience. Employee experience done right creates the right client experience, which is your next tenant. And if you do client experience, well, you'll get the last tenant, which is business results. Now you'll notice that business results is last very intentionally, not because business results aren't important, everything should be outcome focused, but you cannot uh, maximize your business results without first paying attention to the first three tenants. Um, one of the things we say all the time is your employee experience will never be greater than your client experience. So you have to focus on your employee experience if you want to maximize your client experience. One has to go with the other. So that's the cultural value chain that, that I follow consistently. And we stay in that order and do it from a decision-making standpoint, from a cultural building standpoint, from a change management standpoint. Everything goes back to, is it in line with the value chain? Awesome. Yeah, I would like to um, delve just a little bit into those, the, the cultural, uh, the tenets, the four tenets that you just gave us. So when we talk about leadership excellence, how do leaders accept uh, being uh, reviewed or, you know, kind of, you know, looked at or for lack of a better word, how does that normally go? And what do you do to get the information that you need? Yeah, as far as you're talking about um, performance evaluations that are more subjective than objective. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now what you're, is that where you're headed? Is that, that is where I'm headed. Exactly. Yeah. So um, it's very interesting because We've spent, you know, when I was early in my career, um, the focus was always trying to get down to what are the measures that go into a performance review and trying to make it so objective that you were almost guaranteeing then that you had something that was um, applied consistently across your entire workforce. However, the, the more objective that performance review is, while that provides some clarity from a numbers perspective, it's not very satisfying as an employee. Um, because every coaching session then becomes about numbers. And so, for example, if, if you had a schedule adherence, let's just take schedule adherence as one. That's an easy one. Um, you say, well, it's supposed to be 95%, say. And you sit down with somebody and you start to say, well, your schedule adherence is sitting down at a 90%. You really need to improve that. Um, that's not very helpful for anybody. And it feels very punitive. So at one point, what we did was we said, look, we want to have performance reviews completely subjective. In other words, we want it based on the behavioral conversations that happened along the way. And the objectivity comes in the notes and the patterns that you um, kept track of and documented based on how well they changed their behaviors. 
if you focus on the behaviors that change those metrics, then by nature, the metrics have to change if you were effective at controlling their behavior. Um, so for us, we took every um, performance um, metric out of the performance review. And we told every manager say, well, uh, you, you can't use the metric name and you can't use the metric number when you sit down to do any kind of coaching. Well, as you can imagine, that created quite a stir. Um, so uh, I remember one time I, I met with a manager uh, in the hallway and was passing through and I uh, said, well, I'm really struggling with having a conversation that happened to be on schedule adherence. I said, well, what do you mean? I, I don't know how I can possibly sit down and have a conversation about schedule adherence without using the name or the number. I said, okay, let's role play it. That's one of the things in our leadership excellence tenant would have been role playing and a lot of it uh, to, in order to get people to be better at coaching, have valuable conversations that had meaning for somebody that actually changed behaviors. So we role played right out in the hallway. I said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll be the manager delivering the message and it's gonna be about schedule adherence and say your schedule adherence is too low, okay? And she goes, great. I said, I noticed from my own observation and from feedback from your team that you're not, with, uh, you're not in, the, in the team when the team needs you most when calls are queuing. What do you think is taking you away from your desk so much? I didn't use the metric name. I didn't use the metric number. And I was very direct about what I'm asking about. And so they, and it's an open-ended question. All you had to do then was sit back and listen and then guide them through that conversation. Well, the manager was like, wow, I'm, I'm making this harder than it needs to be. I said, yeah, it's really about being human and having a conversation with somebody about a core behavior. Don't make it about the numbers. The numbers will improve. When we first implemented the value chain and we went with this approach of behavioral-based coaching versus metric-based coaching, um, I would tell you we were at a negative 44 for employee net promoter score. And over the course of 18 months, we were at a positive 83. Um, wow. So huge change in employee net promoter score, huge change in how um, people accepted that new conversation, huge change in how management delivered those conversations, great job collaborating with each other. We changed the culture and performance went up. Quality was where it needed to be. Service levels were where they were needed to be. Efficiency was where it was needed to be, where it needed to be. And, and people were just happier from an engagement perspective. Yeah, I can see that because, you know, if you're just talking about the met metrics and you just tell me that a number needs to be higher or lower or whichever the case may be, then I'll work toward that number and my behaviors or my activities or the way I go about things will not improve. Uh, I'll just simply improve the number. And there are several ways of improving the number, but if I look at behaviors, then other areas, as you mentioned, will be affected by my improved behaviors other than just that number. And then when you tell people that their number is not where it should be, also, as you mentioned, it sounds punitive. So immediately they're on the defense, you know, and you can't, break through that now that you've told me I'm not up to par. Now I'm on the defense and I'm going to start giving you reasons that may or may not address my numbers, i.e., well, this person isn't either. And, you know, well, I this doesn't work. And my team does, you know, I'm going to start giving you excuses instead of us talking about how my behaviors can affect that change that we're looking for. And, and in the process, you'll grow me. 
you know, you, you won't, you won't just teach me how to reach a number. It's, it's, that's almost like the old teach a person to fish, you know, give them a fish, you feed them for a day, teach them the fish, you feed them for life. You know, yeah, yeah, that's what that, that's what comes to mind when you talk about that. Well, and it goes back to relationship-based management too, right? So if you want to Mm -hmm. build a relationship with that employee, such that you can leverage that relationship to gain their trust and help them improve by improving their ability to self-reflect on their own performance, by holding them accountable more to behaviors that drive performance. It takes away that gamification piece of, I'm just going to figure out how to game the system to give you the numbers you want. It completely takes all of that away. And it's not that, you know, notice earlier I said we took the, the metrics out of the performance review. It's not that we stopped tracking metrics. We track everything, right? But from a management perspective, we then know from the metrics where to spend our time. And the metrics are still in the performance reviews of managers and above because they need to maximize those numbers, but they need to do it through behaviors. And if you give them the crutch of putting those numbers in a frontline performance review, all they're going to focus on is having a conversation about the number. And they won't be great managers in the process. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Because the only thing that's going to improve is the number. And that's only good until, you know, the the requirement for that number changes. (laughs) Then they're going to have to figure out how to, you know, reach that number again. Instead of having now a new foundation about how I address my workload. So now I've got a new foundation. And your attrition will be higher. And then you're going to spend even more time on metrics because you're going to be turning people over then. So your average tenure will come down. So, I I mean, when we first implemented the value chain, our average tenure went up close to five years. And at the same time, uh, people were happier. They were staying longer. They were performing better. And um, they were feeding off each other. They were getting becoming um, helpful to each other in what we call a we before me team culture is what we were calling that. And so that focused on people helping people at the same level, a lot of peer, uh, peer-to-peer help. So to me that, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, right? So we, we took that approach, which seemed unconventional, uh, unconventional to a lot of people, but all the numbers went right where they were supposed to go. The numbers just follow. Yes. That sounds great. So, you know, let's go to the second tenant and let's chat a little bit about that a little bit more. You've touched on it a little bit. Let's chat about the employee experience. So what are we doing there now that we've, you know, decided how we can approach the leaders and help them improve behavior so that the rest of their um, the rest of their area improves? Let's talk about the employee experience. What are we doing there in that tenant? Yeah, I mean, and it could be a mix of things, right? So you might say, well, how do I make the environment more engaging? Maybe it's gamification. Uh, Maybe it's a rewards and recognition program. Like for us, recognition was very important that it was frequent and public. Now, people, you know, would argue with us, well, not everybody likes to be publicly recognized. I'm like, true, that's a fact. Um, And what we said was, let's try not to let that be a thing. Let's recognize them anyway and see what happens. What we found out was those more introverted people that didn't like to be recognized in front of others, when they started building better bonds with their team and it became more of a family environment, all of a sudden they didn't mind being recognized by their peers or recognized in front of their peers. And so we found that, um, you know, that, that was kind of a, uh, an old wives tale that if somebody doesn't like to be recognized that you should adjust and then just not recognize them publicly. 
Um, in fact, I think we found better that um, we brought them out of their shell a little bit, which is good in customer service. Um, we also, you know, like we had a prize wheel, for example. Um, you know, if you got a certain number of punches on a punch card, we'd come by and in the team and we would spin the wheel for prizes. So everybody has examples of these types of things, of those types of rewards or recognition programs. Those need to be present, right? But that's in that, in that bucket. Gamification, we tried for a while. Uh, gamification is very difficult if you're not going to focus on metrics um, at the frontline level, right? So for example, um, you have to come up with something um, that you can gamify that is more of a behavior. Um, and so we struggled with gamification. We did find good ways of doing it, but we eventually abandoned that idea. So experimentation is also helpful. People want to know that you're doing different things to help the employee experience become something. Um, it could be as simple as new shifts, like you know, four 10 hour days, some people like that, or split shifts, some people like that. Um, so making sure that you have the ability, if you've got enough scale in your center to support it, and you have a business need for it, try different schedule flexibility. It could be a number of things, right? Um, but anything that you would do that you know resonates with your employees falls in that employee experience bucket. Measuring the engagement of your employees on a regular basis is also in that bucket. Having that ability to go forward and find out uh, deeper information about what is driving your employees' experience, what's, in driving, what's driving their feeling or their sentiment about the environment that they're in, also very critical for that bucket. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I like your example of um, talking about introverted employees who don't always like to be recognized up front. You know, once you start building those relationships and kind of finding out what's driving that and then helping them to be um, more involved with their team members and um, building those relationships, you might find, as you mentioned, that um, it's not that they don't like being recognized up front. And sometimes when people are recognized, somebody on the other hat on the other side may think that they don't they don't deserve that or somebody. So maybe it's just that that those people don't like the scrutiny that comes along with being recognized. They may like enjoy being recognized. They just don't like the scrutiny. And what I like about uh, recognizing everyone uh, for their their good work is. If you're recognizing only the same people all the time, that gets to be a problem. That's very discouraging. And people just kind of expect those people to be recognized and they don't expect themselves to be recognized. So I like that you, even though you may have some introverts who don't want that, that you still will find a way to do that because that shows other people that it's not just Joe and Sam and Judy that are all, always recognized. There's Beverly and Jim and Sandy over here too that we're now recognizes. So that's encouraging to other team members. I, remember too that recognition is more than a celebration of the person that earned the recognition. It's also something that the entire team relates to. You end up celebrating as a team that builds better team culture. So if you play down recognition because somebody is an introvert, You've robbed other people on the team of that opportunity to celebrate with them, which drives pride. And so it, it, you have to look at recognition more holistically, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm 
completely with you on that one. I also like that you spoke about actually measuring the engagement. You know, there's so many different ways that we can measure employee engagement. Of course, you know, there's ENPS, there's pulse surveys, there's, you know, there's things that you can do behind the scene, like look at your absenteeism and your turnover, you know, even your exit interviews, there's data there to tell you uh, how happy your employees are and once your employees begin to be fully engaged, of course, you know, we all know the impacts of that. There's better uh, service delivery to your customers. It's better teaming. Um, employees uh, lean more towards uh, training and development. They grow, they build. So there's all sorts of um, positives to improving your employee engagement. But I think a lot of organizations don't really know the many options that are available to get that data and then to interpret that data. And more importantly, that it's important that that be ongoing. You know, you can take several different um, options, uh, surveys and pulse surveys and exit interviews. You can take, you know, combine those together to get a full view of what's going on with your employees, but you have to be consistent because you don't want to do that at a time that maybe you've just released bonuses and there's a lot of people that aren't happy with their bonuses. Your, your data may be a bit skewed, so you need to do that continually and uh, consistently uh, in order to get effective measurement. And then once you get, once you've interpreted your data, get into action. Don't just take that data and, you know, well, they're, they want more flexibility or whatever. Don't they just take that data and don't do anything because um, the employees who gave you that information are watching for the change. They're, they're, they're watching to see what you I think doing. there are two things that are really important about surveys too when we talk about measuring employee engagement. One, to your point, it needs to be consistent over time, right? Absolutely. But sit down with your employees and share with them the questions that are going to be asked and the context in which those questions are going to be asked. This was really important. When you think about leadership excellence, we talk about storytelling a little bit. And we say, for example, if I'm gonna ask a question um, and there is activity that we've done over time that relate to that question, share the question and say, for example, when we did this, that would fit under this type of a question. And make sure over time, like when people say, my input matters, um, well, make sure that you tell a story when you implement something and say, hey, I really want to congratulate, you know, employee one, two, and three, because they contributed towards this particular idea. And as a result, here's the, you know, here's what we implemented and here's what benefits we got for it. And so that they're right there. My input mattered. It, it, it changed mm -hmm. what was implemented, right? So make sure they understand the questions. The context, some, even just the terminology. Somebody said, my senior leader um, appreciates the work that I do. Well, what does senior leader mean? To one person, a senior leader is the manager. To one, it's an assistant director. To one, it's a director. To one, it's the CEO. So get really clear about the question and what it means so that they can answer it in the right frame of mind. Um, two, make sure that it's uh, anonymous, completely anonymous. People do not want to have any hint that you in some way, shape or form know who they are when they give this feedback. And so if you want good, honest uh, commentary and scores, make sure that it's anonymous and frequent. Exactly, and that's, that's the benefit of bringing in a third party to do that. You know, number one, a third party doesn't lean left or right. They're just there to collect the data, you know, to, to 
uh, implement the, the structure and the collected data, and they're going to interpret that data truly clean like it is. And when they deliver it to leadership, it'll be just the data. It won't be any, you know, um, any identifying um, context to, you know, um, put a, an employee in a, a not great situation. So they're more likely to be honest when they answer. Um, because if you've got leadership, they they may be able to determine who answered in a certain way <laughs> based on their experience with that employee. So yes, um, that those are great tips on employee engagement. So let's talk very briefly about the third tenet, the client experience. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, I think we've all talked at exhaustive lengths about client experience, right? I mean, we all know what it is. We know about client journey mapping. We know about personas. We know uh, I mean, you want to get really psyched about client experience, um, watch Nate Brown, look up Nate Brown, uh, CX expert, um, the most colorful guy uh, you might ever find. Um, but I will tell you that client experience has to be well-defined. Uh, what is it that you are trying to accomplish when you say, um, you know, you have a certain brand of service or a certain client experience that you're trying to generate? Be specific. Um, and then go after that from a skills perspective. Uh, work your way back up the chain. If you know you need a certain experience and it's going to take critical thinking skills, and what are you doing from a leadership excellence and an, an employee experience perspective to build um, critical thinking skills? So define your experience, define who that experience is for, and go after it from a skills-based perspective and work it up, up, chain and, uh, up the chain, um, up the value chain. Yes, yes. I, I, yeah. You can um, explain to your team, you can say, Okay, we want to improve our customer satis satisfaction. Again, that's a metric, but you know, improve our customer satisfaction. Okay, so the employees are thinking, so how can I do that? Does that okay? Well, I'll just give every refund. Every time a customer is asking for a refund, I'll yeah. just give it. You know, that should make them happy, you know. And someone else might say, well, you know, I'll circumvent the process to get installations. Um, quicker, you know, but uh, does that circumvent billing? Will that cause a um, repair issue down the line? So when you talk to your employees about the client experience, we want to make sure that they understand we want an overall good client experience. We want to improve that overall. Well, and maybe away from the metric, right? Yes. The point, it's like, okay, customer satisfaction is the end result. And that's, that's great. But what are the behaviors that drive customer satisfaction? And, and then you'll start to say, well, it's about lower effort. Lower effort drives employee loyalty, drives satisfaction. Okay, so if it's about lower effort, what behaviors drive a lower effort? And you might get to behaviors of a human. You might get to how digital has to play to assist that human. You might get to self-service and how that improves it. You could go any number of directions depending on your industry. Um, but it will be about something very specific. I'm trying to improve a particular behavior, which will drive a particular feeling for that client. And yes, that feeling then drives loyalty, drives satisfaction, and then the metrics will move. So to your point, get away from the metric when you're talking about line staff, when it comes down to what experience are you trying to create? 
Mm-hmm. And, and growing and developing that team, uh, giving them the resources they need, number one, but also giving them the proper training that they need. And a side, a nice little side effect of that is you're going to get more promotions out of that. You're going to get a stronger team. You know, you're going to get people who really understand what it takes to improve the customer experience, not just to reach a number on a survey, you know, so, you know, you're gonna if you did it right, right. If you did it right in line with the value yes. chain your employee engagement's going to be really high on top of it. Yes, yes. So I'm starting to see how these fit together. Like, you know, those little Russian dolls, you know, how you have like one inside the other. I'm starting to see how these tenants fit together. So lastly, let's just touch base really quickly on the business results. And I'm thinking once we improve this leadership uh, development, the leadership experience, once we improve the employee experience, once we've improved the client experience, well, (laughs) <laughs> so pretty easy uh, to see yeah. pretty easy to see, business, right? yeah it's gonna one's gonna you know the other three drive business results but what's important about business results then is that you're very clear about what are the business results that you focused on in those first three tenants to drive so if you have an executive dashboard what are those metrics that are most important that generate the best outcomes for the business because if you're going to move those metrics You have to backtrack it up to say, well, then what are the behaviors that are going to drive those metrics, right? So every tenant has to be integrated and in alignment and work up and down, but you have to always start at the left when you're implementing. Um, As long as you're very clear within each tenant, what you have to do and how they're defined, every tenant will fit together and be integrated well, but they don't operate in a silo. Uh, One affects the other, that affects the other, that affects the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can totally see that. So, you know, these tenants are necessary components to a successful organization. And once we have addressed the behaviors uh, that drive the numbers that we're looking at, as opposed to just addressing the numbers, because that's just going to give us a superficial uh, result or, you know, it might even get you to the numbers that you need, but have you improved your team? Have you improved your leadership team? Have you improved improved your employees? Have you improved your processes and your systems that drive the client experience? So I can see how all of these work together. And this is really uh, a transformation. This is a true transformation from the inside out, not just from the from the numbers or, you know, from the inside out. So you've grown your team exponentially and you met your numbers. So, yeah. Got it. Right on the button. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. That's great. Well, you know, Jim, I've really enjoyed chatting with you and um, I've definitely learned some things. Um, I'm, I'm an old school note taker, so I've got a lot of notes here, um, things that will help me in my uh, professional performance. And I'm sure my listeners have learned some things that will help them as well. So if we wanted to reach out to you or get in touch with you, how would we go about doing that? Find me on LinkedIn and um, send me an invite or send me a message and I'm happy to engage in, uh, in any of these types of conversations. And I wish you all luck in the implementation. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm sure we got some good nuggets to move on. So thank you so much for joining me today, Jim. I really appreciate it. This, this has been a great conversation. Great to see you, Beverly. Take care, everybody. You as well. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Team Building Cultures. 
we hope we have delivered helpful and enlightening information to help you create your dream team. Join us next time.